going into the second grade was probably one of the biggest shifts of my entire life. This is when I went through culture shock. I lost my older brother to the streets. And I knew, I started to understand my mom was not normal. When I was in second grade, my mom finally got Section 8. And she got approved by the state of New Jersey to have custody of me and my younger brother. We moved to Jersey City Heights. And we get this two-bedroom apartment that was, no, I'm lying to you. It was a three-bedroom apartment that was on a street called New York Ave. What I didn't know about this section that I was living in was I was on one of the main blocks that was very, very gang-affiliated. In Jersey City Heights, there is Bloods, there is Crips. But when I was younger, that wasn't as popular as it was when I got into my teens. Jersey City Heights had streets that was represented to be their gangs. And I was a part of one of the biggest gangs. I was not a part of them, but I lived on that block of one of the biggest gangs. The biggest, Some of the biggest drug dealers in North New Jersey lived on this block. And for the purpose of this video and the purpose of this podcast, I'm not going to say real legal names because it's probably not the smartest thing to do. But I'm going to tell you about the one man who has raised me and who has made me who I am that you do not know about. It's a deep story. Be ready for this. When I was growing up on this block, the first day I went to school, I went and saw black and brown kids speaking Spanish, and I was blown away. I went home, and I got 50 cents off my my, my little dresser. I went straight to the payphone, and I called my father. And I said, Dad, why didn't you teach me Spanish growing up? And he said, what, what are you talking about? said that there's black and brown kids in my class speaking Spanish. Why didn't you teach me Spanish? He started laughing. He goes, no, Nate, those are Dominicans and Cubans. I said, what's a Dominican and Cuban? And he kind of explained to me. Well, when I grew up, I grew up in the projects and we were black, white, and Puerto Ricans. I wasn't Puerto Rican, but all my cousins were half white and half Puerto Rican. I was half black, half white. All my other cousins were all black. So when I saw a Dominican for the first time and some Cubans that were dark, I was blown away. The problem that I was going through was a huge culture shock. I wasn't from this neighborhood. I wasn't Dominican. I wasn't Cuban. And I wasn't a part of the gang. So with all these things, I was getting jumped every day. Meaning I had, I would just come out of school and it would be like five of them waiting for me. And they will all gang up on me and start throwing fists at me and kicking me. So I used to always have to be prepared to fight these these battles. My older brother, my older brother and I, we used to fight a lot. And because we would go neighborhood to neighborhood, right? Depending on who's who's taking care of us at that time. So me and my older brother, we used to always have to fight. And um my, we were good fighters. I'm not trying to brag, but we were really good fighters. And the difference between me and my older brother is my older brother, he'll fight you. <laughs> and like if he loses, you know, we'll go back out the next day. And, we, and I always have to attend every fight that he had because my father always say, if your brother gets in a fight, you better not come home with no blood. You better not come home with no blood. I, it, that was a mantra. Difference between my, me and my older brother is that, number one, we have different fathers. His father was Puerto Rican. My father's black. His father wasn't there in his life. My father was there in my life. Even though I didn't live with my father in the same house, I spent a lot of time with my father on the weekends. My father always made sure his boys were good. 
my older brother, he'll fight, but then he didn't feel the regret or the guilt that I fought after. I felt this this sadness or this uh, I felt guilty, like just shameful, like yo, you this isn't this is how you go about life. This is not the right way to go about life. My older brother, he didn't have those. He was a my older brother was built for the streets. Put it like that. I was not built for the streets. I would go home every day. I was I was getting jumped. I was getting jumped in. And then I remember that this time when I grew up, I didn't know my mom was in in and out of drug rehab programs. I didn't know that my mom was have mental health problems. I, I didn't even know those things existed because we never spoke about it. We 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 were never told these things. I guess because me and my younger brother who have the same father, me and my two little brothers have the same father and mother. I think it's because of the simple fact that we were young, but nobody sat us down and told us anything. Well, this was the time where I started to see these mood swings in my mother. My mother would wake up sometimes out of nowhere, get, you know, get this black bat. She always had this one black bat and just swing it on me and my older brother. Or she'll curse us out or she'll yell at us. We were just very confused on what we did. I was getting jumped every day. I was going through all this stuff at home. And it was a very, I felt very lost. My grandmothers both were raising me, right? So one day my grandmother, my black grandmother raised me for a majority of my life. And then there was times where when I was really, really young that my white grandmother would have me. And, but my black grandmother, who's, who really raised me from like, I, you know, probably three years old to about nine, around nine. And so when I moved in with my mother, it was very, it, it was very weird. And it, I, I, you know, when you go through trauma at a young age, you kind of, you, you'll, you'll be stuck in that freeze mode. And that's why I was stuck. I was stuck in that freeze mode. I didn't know any better. That's until I met a man who basically saved my life. And I'm not going to say this man's name because of, like I said, legal purposes, but I'm going to tell the story about this man that raised me. I went to the barbershop one day and I went to go get a haircut. And my mom was like, pick somebody. And I was looking around and I saw the coolest dude cutting hair. He had a headband, he had a jersey, he had a wristband, and he was just swagged out. And I said, I want him to cut me. And when I went to go get a haircut, we're going to call him Romeo. Romeo's cutting my hair and he's he's talking to me. He's like, how's everything, little man? How you doing? Bro? I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And he's like, look, if you ever have a problem up here, I know, you, I know you're new to the neighborhood. If anybody does anything to you or says anything to you, tell them that you're Romeo's little brother. And I was like, who's Romeo? He's like, me. He's like, tell people that you're Romeo's little brother. I was like, oh, okay. And he's, he keeps cutting my hair or whatever. He goes, if anybody tries to hurt you, run into this barbershop and tell me. And I was like, okay. So I was like, okay, maybe somebody got my back here. What I didn't know is that Romeo was one of the main dudes that ran the streets. That's what I didn't know. When I got my haircut, after getting my haircut, I went in my pocket to grab my $10 and give it to him. He shakes my hand rolls and crumbles up this $10 bill, pushes it and closes my fist with a 10 and whispers in my ear, I know what's going on at home. Keep the money. And I was like, wow, what is this? Is, this is crazy. So I leave the barbershop. I go home. A few days later, I go to this one park called Palisade Park. It was the main park I was, I was at my whole life until I was about like 17, 18 years old. I went in, there was a bunch of dudes there, and um, and there was a different street. So 
In Jersey City, I was a part of New York Ave. And that block is a gang-affiliated block. So I never in my life said, yeah, I'm a gang man. You know, no. The truth of the matter is I was from that block. And since I was from that block, even though I just moved there, there was another block there called Prospect at the park. So there's Prospect, Bowers. There was other gang-affiliated blocks. So I didn't know. I didn't know any of this, man. I'm from the projects. We... We 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 hold it down together in the projects, right? We we don't go to blocks. We never did that. So I went to this one park and there was these dudes there. And I just want to go shoot shoot the basketball at one of these rims. And immediately, you know, someone threw a ball at me. Boom. And I'm probably, if I had a guess, I'm probably like nine, anywhere from nine to ten years old. These dudes are like 17 years old. And so these are not little kids. When I was getting jumped. These weren't little kids jumping me. This was not like another 9, 10-year-old jumping me. This was like an 18-year-old kid jumping me or like a, a 16-year-old kid jumping me. These, these kids got testosterone in their body by now. And they, I turn around and I see like 10 of them coming towards me. And I was like, damn, my older brother's not here. I'm going to have to fight these grown men again. Um, and, you know, I, I never fought these particular grown men, but I was like, damn, I got to fight these dudes. And then out of nowhere... I see Romeo and he's walking his pit bull and he was smoking a blunt, right? And as soon as he approached me, he did a whistle and said, don't touch him. Romeo happened to be one of the main dudes on New York Ave, but Romeo was one of the main dudes in the city. And there were certain thresholds with this, this man that, you never want to cross. So all these 10 guys coming towards me, they Romeo goes, that's my little brother. You better not touch him. Then takes the blunt, smokes the blunt, got the pit bull sitting by him. The dudes leave me alone. He calls me, Nate, come here. He came over and he said, listen, anytime you go into any type of neighborhood, and you see more than four people, never enter the park. And I'm like, for real? Like, why, why, why not? He said, listen, I know you came from the projects, and you guys were all family, and you, your mother was raised with their mother. And he said, here, it's not like that, Nate. He said, some of us on these blocks, we have that. But as soon as you leave the block, you run into different blocks, and there's history. So if you go in, you may be with somebody from your block that their brother killed one of their brothers. And now, now they have the opportunity to get back. And I was like, what? I was like, this is wild. And I was like, okay. Remember, I'm around like nine years old. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, I told you, anytime someone tries to do anything, just yell out, I'm Romeo's little brother. I didn't see you do that. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And then he said, come on, walk with me. So then I walked with him. You get the whole view of New York City from Palisade Park. If if you want to see the visual of Palisade Park, go to Google and put Palisade Park, Jersey City Heights. And that's you, you'll see the whole view I had as a kid. It was beautiful. And so we're walking around and we're doing our thing. This went on for a few more years. And this man, Romeo... 
people really thought he was my older brother because I do look Dominican. And people thought that he was really, really my older brother. So every Friday I would get a haircut. And as I was getting older, Romeo would teach me more life lessons. Nobody ever touched me again. I never had to pay for a haircut again. I never had to worry about those kind of things, which was amazing. But this was the same time I actually lost my older brother. My older brother got caught up in the, in the street life. And my older brother get, you know, became a part of a gang. My older brother started hustling. My older brother, you know, he he I would I I my relationship with him kind of just stopped. I didn't even know who he was anymore. He was robbing people. He was a he was known to be a thief. My brother will rob you right in front of your face and you won't even know you got robbed. That's a fact. So this is it was kind of sad because, you know, when you're when you have an older brother, older sister, especially if you're a young male like myself at the time, my older brother was like, he's supposed to be an idol, you know, and I kind of lost that with him. But Romeo became my older brother. I was with Romeo four or five times a week. I spent a lot of times with Romeo, a lot. When I got to basically 16 years old, now we're talking about like almost like six, seven years later, now I'm becoming a young man and never got jumped again after those first few times. Everybody was kind of afraid to even do anything to me because they're like, yo, that's Romeo's little brother. You don't touch him. I would start. I remember I got my first little fake chain. I pulled up to the barbershop with my chain out, chilling, and he pulls me to the side by my arm. And he goes, tuck your chain. I'm like, what are you talking about? Tuck my chain, bro. They tuck your chain, Nate. Why, why are you showing your chain? You want a bunch of men to know you got chain? And I'm like, Nah, you know, you know, I'm trying to explain to him. He's like, Nate, you walk around with your chain out. You're asking to be robbed. Tuck your chain. Be humble. So I tuck my chain. Okay, cool. Then I get my license. I pull up to the barbershop. I got this brand new stereo system in the car. I pull up. He was with all, you know, there was a couple of dudes on the block. Now, I was always the youngest one. So I, when I was 17, I was hanging out with, you know, with people around 30, 35 years old, hustlers on the streets. And um, and I never, never had to do anything with or was affiliated with anything that they did on the streets. They would never even allow me to do that. They knew I was going somewhere in my life. They knew that I was going to be an athlete. They knew I was going to be a businessman one day. And they never, they protected me. So if we went to play basketball or we're in a basketball game, in a professional basketball game, not a professional one, but, you know, a real league game. And we had competition, which we did every summer. We had these street, big competition games like Jersey City versus Union City versus Hoboken. And you fouled me too hard. You may be in trouble after the game, especially if you keep fouling me. Because I had, it was about 20 guys that were hustlers that raised me that did not appreciate if you were purposely fouling me, if you were trying to hurt me. That's how, like, these dudes would, won't let anything happen to me. And I was very grateful for that. But it was majority of the reason why is because it was because of Romeo. So I remember pulling up with the music and stuff. And then I got out the car and Romeo leaves a little group of people and he goes, walk with me real quick. 
So I started walking with him. He said, don't ever pull up to a scene blasting music. I'm like, yo, bro, there's always a problem. Like, why, why you always got a problem? He's like, bro, you telling everybody in the neighborhood that you got a system and you're asking to be robbed. You're not moving smart. You got to start moving smarter, bro. You slacking. Stop slacking. And I'm like, all right. One day I come, finally get my first pair of Jordans, come to the barbershop. Romeo pulls me to the side. Don't buy Jordans no more. What? What are you talking about? So what are you buying Jordans for? Why are you buying Jordans? And I said, well, because they, they fly, yo. They fly. He said, who makes them fly? So if you pull up with Jordans and you got your pants sagging, you know what that's telling me? I was like, no. He's like, you a hustler? Are you a hustler? Are you, are you trying to be from the streets? Or are you trying to go to school? What are you trying to do? I was like, well, I'm trying to. He's like, no, man, listen. Next time, get you a nice pair of Vans. Get something simple. And stop trying to wear these type of pants. Go get a nice pa uh, pair of Levi jeans. And just put a simple t-shirt on. Tuck your chain. Have a nice haircut. And know how to move. You slacking. I was like, all right, all right, fine. I won't get no more Jordans. I was then in high school. And I officially got my scholarship to play football. And I was excited. So I'm like, oh, yeah, now I'm excited. I can chill a little bit. I was going into my senior year. I was like, I can chill. I finally got the scholarship. I don't got to do all this extra stuff during the summer to try to get a scholarship. And he told me to come to the shop. So I came to the shop. And he said, that's your chair over there. I said, my chair? He said, yeah, that's your chair. You see in the corner, that's your chair. And I was like, to cut hair? He goes, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to cut hair. And I was like, why would I need to cut hair? He said, because when you go to school, they're not going to give you money. They give you a scholarship, but how are you going to make money? I was like, um, well, maybe, you know, he goes, no, 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 no. You're going to learn how to cut hair. Because guess what happens if you don't? I said, well, he goes, you're going to see most of your teammates. They're going to be selling drugs to make it by. They're going to be selling little weed, little pills. We not doing that. You're going to learn how to cut hair and you're going to learn how to make money. And I listened to him because remember this, this was, he was one of the biggest to ever play his sport. So he, he was wise. He knew what he was talking about. So I spent the whole summer cutting hair. I learned how to cut hair. I had my own, my first real job was cutting hair. It was like, you know, even though I wasn't getting a paycheck, I was making cash and they kept me in a corner and I was messing people's haircuts up and he'll come and give me a life coaching session and he'll give me the reason why the haircut came out bad. And, and, um, you know, he, he, he was a very good teacher when it came down to that. So then I ended up going to college and he was a hundred percent correct. Most of my teammates were selling drugs and I learned how to cut hair. And throughout my time of learning how to cut hair, I also was able to put myself in a position where fast forward years later, when I meet the woman that I'm engaged to now, when her and I first started started to date, I was able to provide for us financially from haircuts. So I used to wake up really early, football, do football, have lunch. I mean, sorry, breakfast at eight. So football was like five to 7.30. Breakfast was like around 8.30. Class from like nine to three. Study hall from three. I'm lying to you. We had film 
So we had a meeting with football from like three to five, then dinner at six, study hall from like seven to nine. And then I used to cut hair from nine to like 11 or 12 in the morning. And I used to, I learned, I learned, I learned all about business by cutting hair, by cutting hair. And of course in a barbershop, and of course I learned a lot about business, just being on the street and being around drug dealers on the street with Romeo raising me. And then my father being a drug dealer, and then majority of my uncles and cousins being drug dealers, I learned I learned a lot about business. Even though, like I said, I wasn't I wasn't particularly anything with Romeo. I never did anything. Now there's some things with my family that I I had to do what I had to do, which I will be sharing those stories with you in the near future. So now I got my little shop going, and everything's cool. And around my ju- going into my junior year, I went through one of the biggest heartbreaks of my entire life. And Romeo called me and said, I don't want you going home for winter break, because if you go home for winter break, you're going to cause a lot of problems. Now, while I was in college, there's, I can't go into full detail with it, but Romeo was a, a street man. And what I mean by that is, Romeo was a man that was basically, he was moving product. And it's crazy because I I would have never known. I would have never known. When I got older, he started to show me and tell me some things. But I would have never known. He he never involved me, but he he knew how to move. Nobody really knew. Like, unless he was involved you knew. And there was things from Romeo's past when he was younger that started to recycle and something happened. And Romeo spent a month with me at school. And I told him, come down, come down to my school, get away from the streets a little bit, come down here. So I had Romeo at school with me and Romeo is 10 years older than me. So when I was eight, Romeo was 18. When I was 15, Romeo was 25. So I had a grown man, like, you know, raise me. But I never, I had to sometimes remind myself that Romeo wasn't my big brother, blood-wise. Because he was my big brother. No doubt about it. That man was my big brother. Me and Romeo got a whole matching tattoo that goes down the same arm. It's the same tattoo. We got it together, you know, when I was around 18 years old. When I say that man was my brother, that man was my brother. So Romeo came down to my school, spent a couple months with me, and I told him, as I was getting older, now I was, I saw the tables kind of shifting. I was able to give game. And as I'm giving him game, I said, you got to leave. You, 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 you got to leave. It's, it's, it's over with, bro. We got to, we got to leave this life. I'm about to go to the NFL. We about to make real money, leave. And he's like, all right, so we got to figure out what's the next move then. And I said, Miami, go to Miami. He said, why Miami? I said, I went down to Miami, bro. I just love Miami. I don't know. There's a lot of Jersey and New Yorkers down in Miami too. I think Miami's, you know, the weather's good all year. Miami, they got hustlers down there. 
that are trying to like, you know, get off the street and get into entrepreneurship. Let's go to Miami. And he was like, so he went to go check it out and he loved it. And so when I was going through my heartbreak two years later, after that conversation, he had established himself in Miami. So I went down to Miami with him because he said, you can't do not come. Don't go home because if you go home, you're going to want to go talk to, you know, your ex and, you know, you being in Delaware is helping you from being able to like really get back in your feelings of trying to go see her. You got to come down here. So I went down there, I spent the month with him. It was a great month. And then, um, I, I came back home and that's when, you know, a few, few weeks later, I went through my heartbreak for four months before I went to Miami. So after Miami, I was like five months in and I worked on myself a lot and he gave me a lot of therapy. He helped me get through my heartbreak, my biggest heartbreak of my life. And then I met Haskiri, who I'm with for nine years from that time. So Haskiri and I make nine years in a few months. Now, when I got back, everything was solid. Me and Romeo talked every day on the phone. There wasn't, I, t I spoke with, I spoke with Romeo. I saw him at least four or five times a week from when I was like eight, nine years old to about like 16. When I was in college around 17, we spoke on the phone every day. There wasn't a day that we let go by without just talking to each other, checking in. How's everything? How's this? How's that? Things changed. And I ended up getting really injured in football. My teammate ran into my spine. I was almost paralyzed. I, I thought I was paralyzed. We all thought I was paralyzed. I couldn't walk. I couldn't move my legs. And the way it went down was very nasty on the on the on the part of the athletic trainers of not caring for me, where I had to go to the hospital without the assistance of the assistant, I mean of the um athletic trainers. So my strength and conditioning coach, who's still one of my favorite people in the world today, who's my mentor that is now at UCLA, Adrian Bjornis, picked me up. Took me in the locker room. I was crying. Took my took my pants off. Took like my football gear off. Dressed me. Picked me up like a little baby. Holding me, protecting my spine. Laid me down in the car. Rushed me to the hospital. And that's when I found out that my career was over in football. Which I'll tell that story to you one day. It's a whole deep story. On the way to the hospital, I'm crying. I get on the phone and I'm calling Romeo. I call Romeo before I call my father. And I'm like, yo, bro, I can't feel my legs. And I told him, he's like, what's going on? Oh, nah. He said, is the athletic team taking you? And I told him the whole situation. He was like, what? What? Hung up the phone. See, when Romeo came down to my school, Romeo, Romeo moves very smart. This is... <laughs> I'm, 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 I have to watch how much I talk about, about this story because there's certain things I just built off loyalty and stuff like that. I just won't say, but this man was a very smart man. He got a way to find out what happened. <laughs> and basically he got the footage because we have in football, we have, we take tape 
right? We take film. And basically, the dude runs into my spine. That You can see me go to the coach and say, I can't. My legs are tingling. Something's happening. You can see them push me, like telling me, get back in there. The next play, as I'm running and I turn to catch the ball, the spine, the disc that came out pushed more into the spine. I herniated three discs even worse. At first, I pushed them out, but then as I twist for the ball, I injured the spine even more, and I fell. When I fell, I was crying. I mean, I was yelling on the field, and what they did is they did the next play, but they just moved over and left me on the field. And you see me dragging myself from the middle of the field to the sideline, and then you just see Coach A sprinting towards me, and that's it. They just left me there. And that is 100% a lawsuit, 100%. So I'm in the hospital. I'm going through what I go through. I'll tell you what everything happened in a, in a different podcast about that, about the details, what happened in the hospital and stuff. But basically, my brother rushes down. My little brother rushes down, drives down, picks up Haskiri, and they drive down three and a half hours to Delaware. I get back to the room. I couldn't I couldn't walk. Um um, I, I had a little, they put me on steroids, which thank God they put me on steroids because it was so much pain. But, you know, my brother had to help me sit on the toilet and pick me up and help me get off the toilet. And they had to help me get in the shower. It was really one of the hardest times of my life. And then within 24 hours, Romeo calls me. I had the best lawyer in Miami on the phone, on FaceTime. And saying, we got a $3 million lawsuit for this and it happened really fast i'm still trying to see what what what's going on i'm I'm chills i'm 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 trying to reflect on everything and i didn't have that time and romeo didn't move like that romeo was like nah this is this is what we need no this is wrong we're gonna go about it and when the lawyer was telling me certain things i basically went back on the phone with Romeo and I said, yo, look, you know what, man? Like, I think I just went through like this huge awakening these last couple of days. And like I said to you, I'm going to tell you that story. It's a deep story. And I told him, I said, I think I have a call in. I think this is the football thing wasn't, it's a, I have a call in. He's like, bro, what are you talking about? They just messed up generational wealth. We had this whole thing planned. And he's like, bro, they, you understand? Like they just, you, you, we had, we had a plan since you were a kid. Nah, they not, we, bro, you worked your whole life. So we had a plan when I got the NFL money, at least one check was about $450,000 for the minimum check. So if I get cut after that, at least we got 450. And then we knew how to move with 450. Um, We had plans with businesses and stuff like that. So he's like, bro, no, this is messing up the blueprint. No. And I just said, I said, bro, to be honest with me, I just, I don't have the energy, man. I've been fighting with this situation with, with sports my whole life. And I've been fighting and fighting and fighting. I'm tired, bro. Like, like I don't want to, I just want to get my degree. I graduate in a few months. I want to get my degree and just go, just leave. And it was a lot of disagreement. There. It was probably the first time that big bro was telling me to do something and I refused to do it. And um, that's when things start to get different. It just changed. 
it changed big time. So when I would call him, he wasn't picking up sometimes. And I was a little lost, you know? I didn't know who I was without sports, but I had a dream. I told him, I said, yo, bro, I think, and I guess I can't wait to tell you this story, but I said, bro, I think that this this YouTube thing or this camera thing, I think this is what I really am supposed to be doing. I was always good at talking. I was always good at like pulling things together. You know, I got this, I'm about to get this degree. I may want to go study more about the body. I think I can really, I can do something. Maybe one day, I don't know, you know, just be all over the internet and like help people. And he said, bruh, what are you talking about? And it wasn't a conversation that was really supported. And it wasn't only him. I don't want, I don't want you to think it was only him. It was majority of the people in my life didn't believe in this thing. They really didn't. There was one person who did though. And that's how scary. That woman believed in everything I said I was going to do. She just used to tell me, what do I need to do to help this? What do I need to, what do you need? What do you need? A few weeks go by and then he called me about something. And he said, did you do this and did you do that when you were here in Miami? And like I said, I'm not going to get into detail. And I said, no, I, I didn't. You know I wouldn't say something like that. Because I don't know, this person said you said this. I said, bro, come on, you serious? Are you serious? I said, I scared you was there with me, bro. Come on, why do I, I never, this is loyalty, bro. Come on. I'm 20 years old now. I'm 20, 20, going on 21. This isn't, this, I'm not, you know, this is 12 years of me being raised by this man. And he was questioning me on something. And I'm like, yo, I'm telling you. And he said, nah, bro, I think you're lying to me. And then, I don't know, he blocked me on all social media. And I was really lost. I just lost the sport. And within just, I'm talking about like a couple weeks, the man who raised me. And I was so lost in my life. This is 2016. So I was on the bus one day on, on my way back up to um, New York. And, you know, kind of like cried on the bus. I was in the back of the bus and I was just thinking, I'm like, Nate, what are you going to do with your life, man? I just lost. When I lost him, I lost the dudes that was that raised me with him. They 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 did the same thing. They thought I did something that was not loyal, but I'm telling you right now, I did not do it. I, I did not. So I lost him and I lost a couple other dudes that raised me around him. And I lost football at the same time. And I was this was the time I needed him most. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I didn't know. I just did not know. So while I was on this bus, I thought about him and I wrote him a long letter and my note to my phone. And I was like, I gotta get this to him. And the letter was just saying like, you know, I really love you like a brother, like you're my brother. Like we're not blood, 
but you're you're more of my brother than my older brother is. I would never forget what you've done for me. There is me. If there's no you, there's no me. And I tell people that to this day. 35 to 45% of my personality comes from Romeo. 35 to 40% of my personality comes from Romeo. If you put me and Romeo in the same room, you will hear the same, you'll see the similarity. And then I noticed he didn't block me on Snapchat. I was like, oh, he didn't block me here. So I took this long letter, I copied and pasted and sent it to him on Snapchat. And then I saw that he read it right away. And I was praying that he was going to hit me back up. And then before you know it, I get blocked. Never spoke to Romeo again. 2023, six years later, still haven't spoken to Romeo. I know some of you are probably thinking the same thing. I started to come to conclusion. Maybe, maybe since I didn't go to the NFL, a lot of the dudes on the streets couldn't get something out of me. So was I an investment that failed? As far as that went, I don't know. But I tell you one thing, if you make if you connect the story, the story aligns that way. Because the thing that was brought up that was said that I said or and did when Hiskiri was right there with me was so out of nowhere and it was so untrue right after I didn't want to sue my school and we got into that disagreement when as I got older and I was really 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 fighting for this dream that I'm living today I can't tell you how many times probably every day that I wish that I can enjoy this life with Romeo. I cannot tell you. If there was one person that I can say that I wish that I had by my side right now to experience the beauty of the success that I have accomplished these last few years and throughout my life, I have an older brother that I haven't spoken to. My older brother, I haven't spoken to him since 2011, 2012. I haven't seen him face to face since 2011, 2012. It's a long time. I have an older sister I haven't seen in nine years, which my older brother and sister have the same father and mother. I have a sister from my dad's side, and that's like my one of my best friends. Like I love, I love my sister. She's talk about loyalty. That woman is loyal. But I, you know, hit me the other day. I'm driving, and I'm driving down this one block that leads you right to my house. And I am not saying this to brag, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to inspire you. I bought one of the biggest houses in my county. And not it's not because I want to be flat. No, because I run a lot of business stuff out of here, right? I have my office. I have my studio, my recording studio. Haskiri has her recording studio, her office. Uh, we have a full gym here. We have a backyard for the dogs. But when I'm driving there, I have these imagine in my imagination, I have these conversations with Romeo in the car with me saying, bro, look how far we've come. Look at this, bro. When I got my book deal, I just imagined myself like looking at Romeo, like, bro, look, look at this. 
when I was doing my workshops around the country, Romeo would have been there with me and just say, bro, look, there's 20 people here in Texas to come see me. I don't, look at that, bro, 20 people. As I sat here the other day, I said, I got to make a podcast about one of the hardest, one of the things about trauma that, you know, some things about trauma that just can't be healed. And it's sitting here sometimes thinking about wishing that Romeo was here. Or sitting here sometimes and wishing that my older sister didn't get caught up with drugs and and uh, killed my niece. Wishing that my older brother didn't get caught up in the streets. Knowing what it's like to come and come together as a family and be be together. On my mother's side, I have two cousins. And I love my two cousins. They're like my sisters. But that's it. Literally, that's it. That's all we have. That's what I tell her all the time. It's very important that we spend time together because we're all we have. It's very important. And they're both very successful, amazing mothers. So it's important. Actually, I brought a house right around the corner from one of my cousins. I brought it because she lived around the corner. And she was like an older sister to me growing up. So the story about Romeo, I want to bring you here. I want to bring to you because one of the most hardest things that I went through in my life. But I still love him. I still love that man. Uh, I love him. I won't be who I am today without him. And I know he'll be, I know he's watching from a distance. I know he's watching from a distance. And I know how certain dudes move on the streets. He's probably listening to this right now. But you will always be my brother. Always. Always. Always, bro. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. Nito Ortiz trauma story. And the trauma, there's a couple of things that happened in this one thing, right? It wasn't one specific trauma. It was a series of traumas that I went through that this man helped me get through. It was a series of trauma of that football injury. It was very traumatic for me. But I think one of the biggest at all is losing. Losing that man was very hard for me. Very hard. That losing him was harder than losing my older brother, my older sister. Losing him was harder than losing football. If I had to pick which one you have to lose, football or him, man, take football. But I didn't know I was going to lose both at the same time. And remember, I lost football. But four months before that, I lost a woman that I was with for four years. And when I lost her, I lost her brother, her two brothers, and her mother who was like family to me. I lost all of them. And then I lost, remember, not only Romeo, but all the dudes associated with Romeo. Now, there's times where I go back to my city, and if they ever see me, they'll always stop me and give me a hug and tell, tell me how proud they are of me and how they love me. And Well, they always, they always keep in touch um, as far as from like social media standpoints and stuff like that. But... Man, I needed support. I needed I needed people 
You know what I mean. You know when you're going through that hard time, you need people there. You feel me? And then I, I, you know, I used to always tell people, I wanted to become the guy, the guys that raised me. I wanted to be successful, but legally. And I think I am Nathan Turner, who's my father. I am Romeo. I am these guys, but I, I did it my way. Never shot a gun, never harmed anybody as far as took someone's life, never got a woman pregnant and just left her, never put my hands on a woman, never been to jail. I did it my way, bro. Sometimes on this journey, when you're raising your consciousness, some people, some people they can get stuck there. And that's the name of the game. You, When you're on the streets, we call that, that's the game. You're going to lose loved ones. I think I said this before, but I'll say it again. You know, Jay-Z, this is why when it comes down to being criticized or being uh, myself on this mic or being myself on YouTube or TikTok, why I'm not afraid. Jay-Z said, I remember vividly what those streets did to me. So picture me letting one of these clowns nitpick at me. That's a bar. That's a bar. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. I'll see you in the next one. Peace.